Good morning. Welcome. You're listening to Facts of Faith. I'm Nayel Pondwana with you until 11 o'clock. It's a one-hour program, theoretically, but literally not. So I invite you to get your phones ready, start dialing, and, well, if you have an opinion on a subject, please formulate it and share it with us. Please clearly label it as a fact or an opinion, but what we're in pursuit of are facts of our faith. Today we're dealing with the issue of religious colonialism. A very nice phrase that rolls off the tongue, but then again, the effects of this, if at all is true, are rather dire. Because this deals with our religion, our faith, or what we believe in, and what almost all the times dictates our moral fiber as a people. Can we decolonize religion, assuming we all agree that our religions in South Africa have been colonized to an extent. Now, I'll give you a very clear narrative. Come 1652, we find Jan van Ribbeck and his cronies coming to the Cape of Good Hope. Storms. Well, I'd love to call it the Cape of Storms because ever since then we've been living in a storm of apartheid and slavery. But that's what they do. And when they come, they come under the cloud of coming to establish a port purely for refreshments. And they are good people. They seek only our hospitality. And after all, if you don't believe them, look at the book. This book tells of how good they are. After all, their God is documented in this book. And here I refer to the good book, the Bible. Fast forward to 2017, we have many people who have been doing such things, claiming to invite themselves into our living rooms, into our homes and hearts, giving us this book and many others ever since then, claiming they are good people and they would never do you any harm. But we all know that ever since 1652, we have been harmed in one way or the other, if not one way and the other. Hence, we're asking the question, is it possible if we're so attached to these faiths, to these religions, can we remove the colonizer and the colonization in the faith and take just the faith? That's our question for today. Can religion be decolonized? If so, how? How do we decolonize what we have for over a hundred, three, four hundred years, we have welcomed as religion? Are we able to? This is Facts of Faith. The Facts of Faith begins right now. Listening to Facts of Faith on SAFM. The views and ideas expressed in this program are views expressly of the people sharing them and not of the anchor or of that of this broadcaster. All persons, juristic or natural, are to be held responsible for their own representations offered on this program by their agents and not this corporation. Any and all consumption of our conversational substance is entirely at your own discretion. Please be advised that this program airs subject matter that has the potential to destabilize and challenge your intellectual equilibrium. If you are excitable, profound caution when consuming our subject matter is advised. Participation in this program is a voluntary enterprise and as such is expected to be considered and deliberated on. Kindly note that, just as the anchor is, all participants, guests and callers are encouraged to engage in this our freedom of expression and any of our civil liberties responsibly. Facts of Faith begins right now. 
Allow me to introduce you to our guest for this morning. We do have Professor Faridi Sak, Professor in the Studies of Islam at the University of Johannesburg and President Emeritus of the International Quranic Studies Association. Good morning to you, Professor, Professor Isak, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Uh, good morning to you and to all your listeners. Also, we do have Pastor Treasure Enungona. is a systematic theologian, a deconstructionist, and author. Uh, uh, I'm sure you know, or maybe you don't, but you may have heard of uh, Farmers of Port. Well, if you have, or thought farming, he is part of that. Good morning to you, Pastor Nguna, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good morning, Naya, and good morning to your listeners as well. Also, we do have Dr. Velapim Keys, a founder and president of Umsamo Institute. Good morning to you, Dr. Mkiz, and we're grateful that you agreed to talk to us. Good morning, as well as good morning uh, to your listeners. All right, let me invite the most important guests of this hour, the callers, the participants, the South Africans, and whoever may be listening on the World Wide Web. We are taking your calls on 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207. If you're calling from outside the borders of the Republic, you first dial plus 27 and then 891-104-207. If you'd like to send a text message, you can send it to 40938-40938. Well... For those of you who are on social network, you can find me there as Naya Lupondona Live or hashtag on Twitter, Facts of Faith. Or you can go to at SFM Radio and you'll find much of our tweets there. Let's begin a conversation by getting this clearly. Would we be on the same footing, gentlemen, if we were to say, granted, religion has been colonized, or do we first have to argue that point, whether or not religion has been colonized. I'm going to begin with you, Professor Isak. Um, <clears throat> well, it's a very broad term, but in principle, I agree completely with the sentiment. All right. What um, you... The problem is, at different stages in history, different of our religions were subjected to being colonized, and then there were also internal colonizations that took place. All right. So it's, it's a complex question. Indeed For it example, is. it may appear to people as if in the world today, uh, if you look at colonization as only white colonization, then the big culprit is Christianity. But if you look at a larger picture of the world, then Christianity is not the only culprit. Uh, Islam also colonized Africa or parts of Africa. Um, so if you only look at white coloniality, then you may say only Christianity is the culprit. If you look at coloniality in a broad way, then other religions uh, have their own dark periods of colonizing other people and their religious beliefs. All right, let's bring in... Pastor Ngona, your take, do you also agree, or perhaps you have a different take? Is religion colonized? I, I, I do agree that um, religion is, is colonized. Um, all, all religions, uh, I believe, they are, they are colonized. And um, there's a difference, of course, between uh, cross-colonization of ideas between religions and, and colonizing a religion. So if you are going to talk to different religions, uh, in particular if you are going to say Christian religion, then definitely 
um, I agree that um, it is it has been colonized. <laughs> okay, would you take uh, Dr. Mgize? Yes, thank you very much. Um, yes, I would say agree, but um, if we are talking about religion, we, we, we have to be specific about which religion because uh, we have so many religions. And if we say religion is colonized, like in Africa, for instance, uh, we had uh, our own African religion and uh, of which we moved away from it because of the introduction of a particular religion, which is Christianity, for instance. Therefore, um, if we say religion um, uh, can colonize, um, I would say yes, but uh, uh, with some kind of uh, caution in terms of which religion are we referring to. Okay. Uh, now, I'm listening to all three of you gentlemen, and uh, with the exception of all, Professor Isaac, we seem to be focusing clearly on the uh, question and what I'm, I'm saying. Uh, and, and what I'm trying to get at is, uh, do we have the same understanding? And I suspect we do not. Let me be clear. Yes. When we speak of religious colonization, we seem to be speaking of two different things. Some people, such as... Uh, Pastor Nguna and Dr. Mkize are talking about religion itself having been colonized. And yet, when you listen to Professor Isaac, he's speaking of the influence of religion which has been part of the colonizer in Africa. Am I understanding you gentlemen well? Uh, in, in, in some ways, yes. But I'm not excluding the idea of religion itself being colonized of religion itself being captured yes. um, by two forces. The one is external forces of colonialism, yeah, and the other is internal forces inside religion who imbibe the values of coloniality and then continue to impose those values yes. onto their congregation. Indeed. So colonization works, I mean, it's in some ways the way the economic system works. Uh, colonialism might have left our continent, but the values of colonialism lives on through the internal agents of colonialism. They may be black, they may be African, but the values and the systems, and especially the economies, of colonialism lives on. So the colonizers leave, and behind them they leave their agents who continue to operate the entire economic system and meaning system and religious system on their behalf. And this is what decoloniality is about. Decoloniality acknowledges the fact that the colonizers have physically left that we have political independence. But decoloniality insists that coloniality, not colonialism, that coloniality lives on because the values and the meanings um, and the systems and the power that these people have all continues alive and well but working through a different set of agents. All right. We're going to take a break and come back. When we come back from the break, I'd like all of you gentlemen to just delve into the actual fact of the situation. If we claim, for example, that um, 
Africa was colonized using Islam and Christianity were effectively excluding religions such as the African customs that have been practiced as faith practices in our country. And effectively, we are left letting it off the hook. Nothing wrong that has been done by the African faith to the African in terms of faith. If we're talking about the influence of the colonialist on the faith, that it very characteristics, its fundamental tenets have been morphed and transformed into something that is not meant to be. For example, if we're going to say that you cannot have white characteristics into black culture, and yet we see that happening today, then that brings in the African traditional religion. Then we need to understand exactly what it is we're referring to. What are we lamenting today? What went wrong? Is it the influence of the white man when he came in 1652 or the Arabs when they arrived in the north and west and sometimes central Africa? Or are we talking about something totally different? I'd like us to put our finger on the problem. What exactly are we lamenting? I'm going to come back. When we come back, I'm going to give you, Dr. Velapim Kiza, the first opportunity to get a stab at it. What exactly are we complaining about when we speak of religious colonialism? You're listening to Facts of Faith on SAFM. Hashtag Facts of Faith. We're targeting an answer to the question, can, can we decolonize religion or can religion be decolonized? And if so, how? But first we need to deconstruct the very question. When we are lamenting religious coloniality or colonialism, what exactly are we talking about, Dr. Mkiz? I think what we are actually talking about here is where, if I can focus on Christianity, it's where we are talking about a religion which came through, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Europe when we were colonized and missionaries told, and in many cases forced us to adopt what was in fact a foreign religion, I'll put it like that, in a way of life, I mean, to us as Africans. Now, consequently, you know, the kind of Christians who, uh, we became in the main were the Christians, our European co- uh, conquerors, wanted us to be, not that what we wanted to be. So one simple example I, I, I can, for instance, say, I would say, if you are a Catholic, you, you had to be baptized, and you had to drop off your own name, uh, uh, what I would say, a Zulu or Pedi or Venda name, or your own traditional name, and adopt their own name, which they supposedly say is the holy name, which is in line with that particular religion. Now, looking into that also, it, 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 it was when also the book, like the Bible actually, was taken and given to us, and also we were told how to read it and also how to interpret it, rather than to take it the way we feel. And even God, the way God was presented to us, it was presented as the God, which is actually based on their own way of thinking. I would actually take a very good example of what I call the black theology in South Africa. Um, most of our people will remember maybe people like Manas Butelezi, Sabel Ndwasa, Alan Buzak, and many more, including uh, our Archbishop Desmond Dudu, where they actually said, we want a Christian God who is on the side of the oppressed and the poor. In other words, not the Christian God as you presented that particular God to us. And if we are one in the body of Christ, 
Therefore, it is ridiculous and unjust to have apartheid because God never created that. And you are actually coming with the Christianity to us, but there is apartheid on the other side. And the oppressive and the discriminatory systems, which actually premise on, on among others, the teachings and also uh, uh, the, the, the confused Dutch Reformed Church and so many other things. And then they continue saying, we want to Africanize the liturgy, how we observe mass, the singing uh, of our hearts, content in the languages, rhythms, and the cadence of Africa, using our own particular language. I'm, I'm just mentioning just a few. Allow so me now, to just interject. Say, Allow me to interject right there, uh, Dr. Mkiza, because I don't want you to, 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 to go on without engaging. You, you speak of, what did you call it, the confused Dutch Reformed Church? And that very confusion happened, and last week we delved into this, within the very African traditional religion. When we speak of the African traditional religion, this is a faith that was in and by itself confused, and its very application and distribution amongst the people still confused. How is it that you pointing fingers at the Christian confused Dutch Reformed Church, and that confusion is an exclusive to them? Well, to me, I'm saying it was confused because if they came into this country with the good God as they presented him to us, and also with the holy book which they call the Bible, to me, it was actually not supposed to be that they say we must actually drop what actually is, is ours and therefore adopt what is theirs. Because, let me tell you something, it's not only today that we are having Christianity. It's only, Christianity is as, is, 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 is as old as uh, before Christ. And there were ancient religions. And that's where our African religion is With actually respect, coming Dr. from. You're not answering that question that I asked. How do you point a finger at the confused Dutch Reformed churches, you call it, and yet your faith also has been cited to be as confused, if not more so, in by itself without the assistance of Islam or Christianity? How do you point fingers at them and yet you yourselves are equally, if not more so, confused? Can you come up with your question again? Let me give you an example. Right. Last week we had a conversation about yes. the influence of Unong Hause on the Posa people. That's right. The confusion that we heard last week about exactly what is it that led men and women of the African traditional faith to believe the murmurings and mutterings of an adolescent teenager. For, for, for a people, for a nation, for a man of faith, Mshagaza, to speak to his leader, his political leader at the time, the chief, and then they all have to discuss utter nonsense coming from a child, and yet this is not even supposed to be part of their faith. That was confusion of the nth degree. But if we say, we, we have to contextualize this, we have to say, if we're talking about Nungawuse, uh, 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 I mean, the, the, the time and the period when it happened, and who were the researchers, and what was actually happening during those years, where was the religion, which is African, mixed with the religion that was actually introduced, was actually really Nongawuse said that, told by his, or I mean, her, or his or her ancestors. That is the exact confusion we're referring to, Dr. Mkhis. Sorry, okay, let me, let me finish. Or maybe was it something that was said, but it was actually distorted? 
Because remember where we are coming from. We mustn't uh, shy away from the fact that top researchers in those years were white people who could actually uh, change or, 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 or mess up a, a lot of things. That is a given fact. Dr. Mkiza, I totally agree with you, and that is exactly what I'm talking about. That, that confusion that you are highlighting right now is what I'm asking you about. If you acknowledge that there was confusion sowed amongst the African traditionalists then, how is it that you're comfortable pointing confusion at the, quote-unquote, confused Dutch Reformed Church? Remember that there are two streams here. Confusion caused by the owner of that particular religion and confusion caused by the oppressor. If you come to my house and you distort the message in my house, it's completely different than me distorting the message. Bottom line is, I come to your house with you knowing your faith and you end up being confused as though you don't know your faith. Not necessarily. You come to my house, I tell you exactly what is my faith and my belief, but you distort it yourself next door. That's the first issue. I'm referring to that in the case of Nongause, that who is sure that what Nongause said was really Nongause who said that? Was it not that maybe it was distorted or a distorted message? Yes, it was. It is facts of faith. Have the facts and not just the faith. Pastor Nguyen, you've heard what Dr. Mkiza is saying. Your take. Well, my, I, firstly, I find, I find the illustrations um, have very interesting um, in that they can either be useful or useless at the same time. Um, but nevertheless, let me, let me use an illustration. Um, what, are we, what are we lamenting? Are we, are we lamenting spoiled milk or spilled milk? Or are we lamenting the very fact that uh, someone has come into our place and spoiled our milk, um, has dropped a fly in our milk. Um, that can be an illustration to, to, to make a distinction whether are we saying that religion was used as, a, as an usher, as a deacon to come in to the country or into the continent and um, distort or be used for whatever um, they want to use it for, or are we discussing the question of um, the religion itself uh, being being distorted, and um, I think that what, what what the good doctor is discussing is the question of religion itself being uh, being distorted. And his illustration is: you come into my house, you find a particular belief system, you find a particular way of doing things, and then you begin to poke uh, holes into that, and you say, "But uh, why are you doing this? Why do you wake up at ten o'clock? Why don't you wake up at six o'clock?" Uh, why do you eat uh, lunch uh, and not eat breakfast and all sorts of things? Um, and that, that is the question I think that he's, he's, he's um, debating. And for me, um, I, there's no question about the fact that the religion um, uh, has been used as a, as a beacon of some sort um, to, to achieve whatever agenda the colonials were bringing. Um, but what is pertinent to me and important is the fact that when they arrived, they did not find a religionless um, uh, uh, continent, but they found a religion in this continent. And uh, what the doctor then is saying and injecting here is that then they came and confused that particular religion uh, that was here and said that what we are bringing is a better brand than what you have. You have brown bread, we are bringing white bread. 
And so white bread with cheese is better than brown bread with water and sugar. And I, I think that, that, that we need to make the distinction there as to what is it exactly that we are, we are, we are, we are debating. And I think both questions are, are critically and uh, equally important. Perhaps we might have to just take one and then perhaps deal with another some other time. I want to bring in also uh, Professor Isak. Professor Isak, we're looking now at a problem, and I want to pick one problem, and I'd like you to chew on that problem. A problem of people saying, and you've heard Dr. Mkiza there, suggesting that even the Bible they brought was not correctly interpreted because this God of the Bible never incited or encouraged Apartheid. So, in fact, we need to address the fact that even the faith they brought to us was in and by itself contaminated. So, I'd like to ask, can we agree that when we speak of this whole conundrum, we're speaking of a situation where we ourselves welcomed a false religion as though it was true and we allowed ourselves to be colonized using a false religion? Well, first of all, it's very difficult <coughs> with us sitting 370 years uh, after colonization to sit in on judgment on how our forebears responded when colonialists came in here with their guns, with their mortars, uh, with their cannons, and so on. For our people... It was also a basic question of how do you survive in the face of this enormous firepower in order to live and fight another day. So our history isn't one of just <clears throat> these Christians came, they sold us something, we were stupid, we bought into it. No, it was a question of negotiation for your very survival in order that you may fight another day. And of course, in the middle of all of this, there were heroic stories of resistance amongst the indigenous people. It wasn't simply a question of handover. Yes, it is true that the indigenous people also accepted the religion of the colonizers. And it was after accepting the religion of the colonizers that the indigenous people realized that there were gems in the scriptures that these people had brought in them. But two things were happening. The one is these people and the Bible that they were teaching us, they weren't themselves living out that Bible. And the second thing is when they applied the meaning of those biblical texts to their relationships with us, they interpreted and distorted everything in a way that legitimated their own authority over us and our own subservience towards them. So the first thing that I want to say is, it's not as if our people just succumb and hands up when these people move. You know, our people had to survive and they had to live in order to fight another day. The second is that they realize that this stuff that these people are bringing to us 
It's not all rubbish. That's, it's the text is a valuable text, but how they are using the text. And so it wasn't then only a battle for the land, but it also became a battle for the text. And here you see how that very same text later on was used by black theologians and liberation theologians in order to advance the larger struggle for uh, uh, for democracy and justice, but also how it is being used by black and liberation theologians to advance the struggle for the land. Okay. So it's a little bit more complicated than just saying that these people came in. Our people were so stupid, they were so deep, they were so ignorant, their hands up and then they handed everything over to the uh, to the colonizers. And this is what decoloniality is about. How to now struggle to regain religious practices and understandings of the text to fit in with the demands of ordinary, broken, landless and exploited people and to advance those struggles. All right. I want to I want to read some text messages. I want to invite the calls also for those of you who would like to join in. You're barred from this conversation. 0891-104207. 0891-104207. You could send your text messages to 40938. If you're on Twitter, you can hashtag Facts of Faith or go to SAFM at SAFM Radio. Let me read some text messages for you. And then when we come back, I'd like you gentlemen to just chew on this month. This one point. If we're saying then we need to decolonize religion, how do we do that? Because if we all agree that the text in by itself is okay, it's just the hermeneutics and the exegesis, the interpretation of the text that is problematic, how then do we decolonize religion? Let me read some text for you. You know, Naya, this one is from Jack and Albertin. You know, Naya, uh, marketer works on the brain of a person, gets the person to assimilate and own the message. That's what religion has done from 1652 over here. People no longer own their thinking when it comes to religion. They have surrendered their thinking to the marketers of religion, who are the priests and many others who are doing so. I can't see how religion, which is the biggest fraud mankind has ever had, Deface can be decolonized. <laughs> That's Jack and Albertin. Interesting thought that Jack. I'd love you to call. I'd love to en- engage you in what you're saying right now. Another one from Mary M. says, Hi, Naya. When I was in primary school, I thought the Christians had another god who looked like a fervut. Yes, religion was colonized. Makes me think, what does a child today think about God Almighty? Currently, thank you very much, Maryam. All right, I'm taking your calls on 0891-104207. Let's go to Twitter for those of you who are on Twitter. Um, one tweet says, uh, this one is from Emmanuel Silva at Freedom for All. Abolish money, religion disappears. No kidding, Emmanuel. How does that happen? Are you a magician? Another one says, this one is at Ntikimazwai, uh, says, people are going to have to be ready to walk away from Christians and go back to Amasiko, which are customs. And she says, simple, full stop. 
All right, uh, that's your take on Twitter. I'd like to hear more of your opinions. 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207. If we then, gentlemen, are saying we can de- or we should decolonize religion, what on God's green earth are we talking about? Taking away the text? Taking away the Quran, the Bible? What do we do? Or do we kick out the colonizer and just leave the document? What do we do when we decolonize religion? But I begin with you, uh, Professor Isaac. Okay. Uh, first of all, um, the structures of our religion. If, for example, uh, the liturgies, uh, the forms of w- in which uh, many, uh, certainly in the church, the church practices take place, they often don't take cognizance of local, the indigenous uh, cultures. Some of the hymns, for example, in the Catholic Church and in the Anglican Church, they're all ancient English uh, 16th, 17th, 18th century stuff. How do you indigenize the church? How do you uh, bring in more local African cultural values and so on into it? Inside the Muslim community, another form of coloniality, the dominant forms of expressions of Islam in South Africa is Malay and Indian. Where does the African community fit into all of this? Why are the congregations of many communities, often majority African, and African now in the larger sense in Somali, Senegal, and so on, that the religious classes in the Muslim community remain, enti- the religious leadership classes, remain entirely Indian or remain entirely Malay. And that is an internal form of uh, colonization. How are scriptures read in a way that doesn't only support the merchant classes in these communities, but are read to, through the lenses of the, uh, of the poorer, of the working classes, of the, of the workers, uh, of um, the poor and the marginalized. So the decolonization of religion basically means that the centering of the power, of, of power, that must shift. Power must shift away from the powerful and decentrate into the margins. So you're, you're reading of scriptures through the eyes of the marginalized. Whether the marginalized are your racialized marginalized, or whether they are your sexualized uh, ma- marginalities. Permit me to redirect they... right there, uh, 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 Professor Isaac. I'll give you an example of what Dr. Mkiza was saying. He was saying that Christianity came here and changed our names from Naya to Neil, for example, or from uh, Amos, from, from Lituaja. To Amos, and this is an example that he gave uh, that we are no longer who we are because this religion came and took away who we are and gave us what it is. And this is not exclusive to Christianity, if I might just add. And I think you pointed this out at the beginning of the program. You also suggested that also we see this done by Islam, where people who are no longer now Chauke, they're no longer Chauke, they're called Mohammed, and our daughters are no longer Unomsa, they are now called uh, Farida or Khadija. And hence we're asking the question, if we have those problems, 
if we have these faiths that come and take away who Africa is and give those faiths the, the white name or the Muslim name or the Christian name, can we remove people's names? Because we notice people no, are no longer Patrick, uh, they are now Musiwa and so forth. People no longer want to be called Jimmy Mani. They want to be called Mzwanele Mani. It seems as though there is this name evolution that's trying to decolonize whatever they believe may have been colonized. And that is just an assumption on my part. I'm not suggesting that's why they changed their names. This is a part of it. Correct, yes. A part of claiming your heritage is a part of saying, wait, wait, wait. I am a believer in Islam. And Islam is not an Arab religion. Islam is not an Indian religion. There is no reason why I should suddenly have adopted a Pakistani or an Urdu or an Arabic name just because I embrace Islam. And yet this is happening. The faith is much larger than a cultural community. Yes. And so it is the cultural hegemony. In the case of Muslims, it is the cultural hegemony of Indians, and the cultural hegemony of Malay or colored Muslims, that must be uh, opposed, and that must be resisted. And then, African Muslims must find their identity. But I must also point out that the idea of an African identity that is eternal and that has existed forever, no cultural or religious identity is ever eternal and unchanging. So it's not as if, uh, as if black Africans can suddenly go back to pre-1652 uh, before the colonizers came and retrieve a mythical, idealized, untainted and pure African identity. Well, all right. Identities are forever undergoing changes. Indeed. We're indeed. only saying that those changes that have been imposed on us by coloniality, by colonialism, those changes must be rethought and resisted where we don't find them compatible with our own cultural values. All right, hold that thought, Professor Isaac. I want to take some calls and then some read some more text messages. Let's go to Colin in Cape Town. Good morning, Colin. Good morning, Naya. Good morning to your guest. Naya, this, uh, this sounds very confusing. But anyway, what I was asking, thinking about, listening to a program now, you know, when Jesus came onto this earth, he said to his apostles, go out to all four corners of the earth and you preach the gospel and things like that. So um, Christianity was out those years, not in apartheid days or 1652 or something like that. So, what I'm trying to think now, Jesus never said, go out to the four corners of the earth and colonize or decolonize. He said, go and preach what I've taught you. Now, yeah? Yes, in other words, those people, it comes from centuries ago, they spread the word from those days really, from the Bible, the teachings of Jesus. So that is where uh, I think Christianity started actually. There's no question there. You get, you've got the right spot on. That's not the question. The question is, now those people who came preaching that gospel did not do what their Jesus told them to do. They came and colonized using the gospel of their Christ. And that's the nub of the question. 
Okay, now, now, now you take you take uh, Jesus' twelve apostles. Uh, Judas didn't do what Jesus taught him. So you'll get people in a, like a, a, a wolf in sheep's skin. You'll get people that will, that will go ah. out and make money out of a religion. So how do we get out those people? How do we exit those people out of religion and keep the purity of the religion? Well, actually, actually, I've listened to your three guests. Uh, they seem to have no answer to that also. So I don't well, I'm hoping you have an answer there, Colin. Do you? Excuse me? Do you have an answer? Oh, uh, well, I, I, I don't know. Not, yeah. not really, Naya. Right, it's all right. We, I, I don't have the answer, too. It's okay. Thank let's you, keep, my friend. Let's keep on asking the questions there, Colin. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's move on. Uh, now, I want us to read some text messages before I give the other two guests, and then we'll conclude our conversation. Uh, the text messages and the tweets that have been sent by those of you who are on Twitter and sending text messages and on Twitter. Uh, okay. Sent to um, uh, hashtag Facts of Faith and at SFM Radio. This is Free Equal Just Society at Almanuk. And this tweet reads, Religion is seen by some as divisive. Yet its practitioners, and not religion itself, they saw Africa had no wars, no crime, no currency, and for that they used, they used religion and English to break our spines. That's a that live here. I forget, no wars? <laughs> Have you ever read of the fix idea? <laughs> what did you call those? Kisses? Stop it. All right, let's move on to Dante Edmunda. Uh, Dante Edmund says, uh, the different colonial interpretations of religion will always be uh, contentious. There will always be confusion with superstition. That's what Dante Edmund calls it. Superstition. Another one from Lebuchang Ratswan. Uh, was it Ratswan? I'm hoping that means Ratswan isn't who are the same. At uh, Professor Lebza. It reads, Religion is pure nonsense. A true divide and conquer mechanism that forces victims to not fight back. Religion is chains without real chains. Okay. Professor Lebza. Another one from Truth and Liberation at Truth, Freedom, Just. Okay. Religion was brought here to brainwash us as Africans, to break us and push us away from our roots and beliefs. I suspect you may have forgotten to read the history before 1652 because already there were divided people before 1652. Perhaps our history is also a false religion. From Siandam Da, Sianda Waltam Da. Okay, that answers my question. Sianda is not a she. It's a Walter. This one reads, The Bible doesn't oppress anyone. On the contrary, it liberates. Hashtag Fats of Faith at SAFM Radio at Nihilo Pondona. All right, gentlemen, uh, you've heard the calls. You've heard the text messages and the tweets. I'd like us now to grind to the point. How do we decolonize religion? Uh, Dr. Mkise. Thank you. Um, I think Professor Isaac has, uh, has, has, has said a mouthful already. But uh, what I would like to say is uh, that uh, we have to allow Africans to be Africans in any religious space. 
Now, we can actually lament and mourn about the oppressor and the colonizer. To me, which is serving no purpose at this point in time, but what is actually important is now, what are we as Africans doing in order to decolonize a, 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 a religion? Forgive me, Dr. Mkiza, you're asking the question, I would like you to answer it. How do we decolonize religion? Yes. In other words, my answer will be to decolonize, to me, will be maybe to by re-looking at the faith, saying how can we blend our own fundamental tenets of African experiences, materials, and our own psycho-emotional needs. I think it ends there. In other words, without now pointing a finger at any person, but we as black people, I will tell you something which is happening in the black townships at the moment. We can mourn about a colonizer, but in our black townships, you find that black people are actually uh, perpetuating that colonization by actually blaming other religions, by saying, for instance, if you are still believing or maybe to the ancestors and so on, you are a wrong person. You know, all those sorts of things, which is the continuation of colonization. Therefore, that is why I started by saying, we as Africans, we have to know what our tradition said and who are we, and actually how do we rectify those things which were actually taken away from us, rather than to continue with them. So basically you're saying we don't have a solution to this problem. We don't know how we can decolonize religion. It's a complicated thing. It's a very complex thing because it has become commercial and it includes money. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, uh, Pastor Angona, how do we decolonize religion? Naya, I think at the, at the heart of our African identity and uh, across all religions, there's one thing that we have in common. We may differ on principles and laws and all sorts of things, but one thing we have in common, and that is humanness. Uh, that's one thing that we have in common, something that Christianity calls. Uh, the question is, how do you then handle another human being? Um, Christianity calls that the golden rule, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Um, something that uh, philosophers, one philosopher calls hospitality uh, towards the other. Something that Africans call uh, Ubuntu. Something that a, a, a particular Dr. Mutamai calls the humanness of humans. Uh, philosophers call it love. At the heart of it must be the preservation of, of human beings. And what do we then do? What can we do? It's not a step-by-step process. Uh, but I think this is what we can do. Firstly, we need to decolonize the Bible, if we are talking about the Scriptures. And by decolonizing the Bible, I mean that we need to get into the projects of translation. How do we translate the Bible into uh, proper African languages with proper concepts? Here's an example. John 14, 1, Jesus says, I'm going, to, I'm going away, I'm going to make mentions for you. We don't have mentions in the African language. So what is a mention? Can I enter into any village and say Christ went to heaven is going to make mentions for you. They don't know what a mention is. So we need to work on the language of the of the Bible. What is a dragon? The Bible talks about dragons. We don't have a concept of a dragon uh, in the African culture. So we need to work on, on those issues. Secondly, we need to decolonize the interpretation of the Bible. Uh, the methodologies that we use to interpret the Bible is a project we need to get into. And I think finally, the interpreter himself or herself must be decolonized. Uh, in that you have been given a method, you have been, in other words, you've been told this is how you must interpret, this is how you will interpret, 
And as a result, no other way of interpretation is important. And I think that the moment we do that, we are getting rid of the, the, the capability of human beings uh, to think, firstly. Secondly, uh, if we are saying you can only use the English translation of the Bible uh, or a, your own language or a translation of your own language taken from the English translation, we are going to face a lot of Is uh, that to say the current indigenous translations are incorrect or inefficient or insufficient? I'm saying that they're, 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 they're insufficient. Here's a project in Stellenbosch currently. There's a project going on down there where the Afrikaners are saying even our own Afrikaans Bible does not sound Afrikaans to us. In that the way it is expressed, it's not Afrikaans. You hear almost an, an Englishman, for example, speaking in Afrikaans. And we need to hear a, a, a real Afrikaner speaking. And we need to go to that extent of saying, in Kenya, if the, if the Kikambas want to hear a Kikambian uh, tone to the text, they need to hear that. In South Africa, a Zulu person must read the Bible and hear a Zulu person speaking from the text. In that God can speak in any type of language. In that we should not limit him. Nowadays, we read the translation. It sounds like a white man speaking, you know, a particular language. And I think that we are going to miss an expression of the text if we do that. So we decolonize by being human, by decolonizing the Bible, by decolonizing the interpretation, by decolonizing the interpreter themselves. And I think that when we do that, uh, we can begin working and formulating something about religion. And interestingly, in African languages, you will not find an African word for religion. There is none. In the whole of Africa, studies have been made. We can't find a word for religion. You know, and, and that must speak to, to what is this whole monster called religion? What is, what is so foreign about it? Okay. And what do I, yeah. One question, and I'll let you go, and we'll give the last shot to Professor Isaac. Uh, some allege, and this is a, a very profound allegation, that's why I'm bringing it to your attention, that it is not only the translations of the scriptures, as you put it, that need to be decolonized, but the content that is brought by these scriptures. If we all can agree that the content was engineered at the councils of Nicaea and is not as pure as it's supposed to be, should we not begin with the content of the scriptures before we go to the translations? Uh, very brief yes or no there, if you believe so, uh, Pastor Ngo. I, I, I don't believe we need to temper with the, with the, the content. content. Got it. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Professor Isaac, you get the final shot. How do we do this? Do you have a solution? Well, first of all, very quickly, in response to many of your listeners and people who speak, uh, they make the argument that religion itself is the problem and that um, it's a whole lot of superstition and superstitious people that believe in it uh, on the other. Um, that's a very contemptuous view of the vast majority of our uh, people's population. Uh, the country and people have had religion uh, since the beginning of uh, the dawn of humankind. It has always been with us. It's some of the middle classes who can take this uh, completely antagonistic view of religion and say, oh, these poor barbarians, you know, they don't know what is better. Us middle class English speakers and so on, sophisticated, we know the real uh, truth. So I don't want to be dismissive of ordinary people and their beliefs, as some of your listeners have been. As for the decoloniality of religion, um, uh, decoloniality isn't something that happens in a day. Uh, there are continuous new forms of power that emerges. 
<coughs> and new forms of power that seek to replace the older forms of power. We see this inside South Africa after the end of apartheid. So decoloniality is an ongoing process. What does decoloniality mean at the moment? Decoloniality in the African context, as far as Christianity is concerned, means two things. The one is the white, anglicized, or European forms of liturgy uh, and looking at scriptures through the eyes of white men. Uh, thinking of God as Professor Isaac, forgive me, I have to interrupt you right there Our time is up and I have to hand over to the news But to all of three of you gentlemen Thank you very much, Professor Farid Isaac Pastor Treasure Anne Nguna and Dr. Velapim Kiza I do appreciate your insights And hopefully we'll do much more of this next time From me and I, Lupondona and the team Have a wonderful day and Godspeed up next The news with Kirit Lala